welcome to this edition of the Innocence Project London podcast. Um, I'm joined today by my colleagues in the Cardiff Innocence Project and the Manchester Innocence Project, Professor Judy Price, Dr. Holly Greenwood and Dr. Dennis Eady from the Cardiff Innocence Project. And we've got together today um, really because we wanted to come together to discuss or provide an updated overview of the work of innocence organisations in um, England and Wales. Um, there's, <clears throat> there's always a lot written about what we do and people pass comment on it, but we thought um, as the three probably most prominent innocence organisations um, that work in higher education establishments, we would come together to have that discussion. So welcome, it's lovely to have you here today. So I think let's kick off with the first, uh, the first point, I guess, or the first question to throw it out there then. So where does the work of innocence organisations sit in the criminal justice system in England and Wales? Um, Holly, I'll come to you first on that. Um, yeah, so obviously things work a bit differently in England and Wales to, to what they might do in, in kind of other places where innocence projects have developed. So we have to um, negotiate the Criminal Cases Review Commission in a lot of our cases. So that's the body that uh, reviews and investigates miscarriages of justice um, to decide whether or not to refer them to the Court of Appeal. So we have to um, take their role into account. So what, what we would say, um, the way we view it at the Cardiff Innocence Project is very much um, that our work is kind of a last resort for people who are simply unable to get the help that they need anywhere else to overturn their conviction. So we'll always encourage those people to um, get legal help if they can, legal advice and assistance um, from, a, from a practitioner if they can. Um, and only if they can't get that will they um, come to us and we will take on their case. And quite often now we're actually dealing with first appeal cases, which are cases that cannot go to the CCRC. Um, so we will deal with those um, and try to get a lawyer to take them on basically. Or for the ones that go to the CCRC, we just simply try to help the person put together an application for consideration by the CCRC. So in a very similar way, I think we, we'd all agree that our projects will work in a very similar way in terms of the putting together of that application to the CCRC. Innocence Project London doesn't have the capacity to take on appeal cases, but Holly, like you say, we see more and more people applying who haven't been able to either make a first appeal or have got halfway through and have run out of money and things like that. We see a lot of that. But actually, in the real broad context of our work, it is to make applications to the CCRC. We're not, we're not replacing them. We're not trying to be them, but we're there to facilitate those applications. Claire, what's your view? Yeah, I, I completely agree, uh, Louise. And that, uh, that, that is basically the, the, the bread and butter of, of our work is that we um, help our clients to put together an application. Uh, and I understand that, you know, they're easy read applications and, um, uh, and, and people are in fact encouraged by the CCLC to, to put those applications together themselves, you know, even, even whilst they're in prison. But uh, a lot of people feel that they need that help. Uh, and if there's nowhere else to turn, we are their last resort. 
Uh, and, as, and as Holly says, if, if somebody can get um, legal assistance and they can, you know, they can have access to, uh, to other, other services which uh, can be resourced, then obviously we'll, we'll send them in that direction. But more often than not, you know, they have been um, everywhere. They've uh, unturned every, every stone that they possibly can. And we are their last resort. And time plays an important factor, doesn't it? I mean, Julie, you must have found this as well for having done this for the years that you've worked the Cardiff Innocence Project. The ability to have the time to work on the case. Now we have, we recruit students, all of us recruit students, either volunteers or volunteer Mm -hmm. student caseworkers or through a module to work on the cases. And that is time that they have and they give that actually qualified lawyers don't have. They don't get the money so time's an important factor isn't it Julie? Absolutely and one of the things I find quite interesting is recently I've heard or read somewhere that um, it's been suggested that innocence projects think they could be a replacement for the CCRC or for practicing lawyers. Now it'd be interesting to see where that came from because um, I've been doing this for about 15 years now but I've never heard it said that Innocence Projects think they could replace the CCRC. That is a completely different, it's missing the point completely. And the same with lawyers. We're not trying to take any pro bono, um, any legal aid work from lawyers. What we do is rely on, on their goodwill, basically, where we can attract support from lawyers. And as you say, Louise, the biggest resource available is, is the student's time and the supervisor's time. And it, it's physically impossible, particularly with legal aid cats as they are now, for lawyers to spend the time that's needed. It just isn't going to happen. So I, I think it's a, an excellent idea for all of this resource, which is supervised. I mean, they're not let loose on the public to go and do their own thing. They, they are supervised. And it's, it's a fantastic resource. So it should be and is hopefully supplementing what's available by way of um, client help that's needed. Absolutely. Claire, you got anything to yeah. add there? Because uh, one, one of the things that we do is, is we work um, with uh, a, a firm of solicitors on cases where they get a, a, a case that they can't resource so our students do uh, the work and uh, we work with the, the, the firm to get that case uh, in, in a position where we can uh, complete uh, a CCRC uh, application. So we're not doing it in isolation. We're working with, um, with a solicitor that you know, specialises in, 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 specializes in criminal practice, sends us the case. We work on the case with that firm and... Um, and the students do a very good job. In fact, in one case we sent to the CCRC, the CCRC wrote to us and, and commended the students on how good the application was. Uh, so, you know, they, they do produce some, some very good applications uh, working in, in that way and working with, in fact, I have someone with a practicing certificate who was a criminal practitioner working with me on, on our, our project. So we have, you know, that expertise, as does Cardiff, in in working with that firm and working with our students. And I think you'd all agree that actually, and Holly, you mentioned this earlier, um, you know, the easy read applications and it's supposed to be very accessible. But actually, 
meeting that threshold of fresh evidence and new legal argument and articulating that in an application is really difficult. It's tricky for, or challenging, shall I say, for us and our students and the lawyers that work pro bono with them, because we know where that, you know, it's a movable feast, that threshold, let alone someone who's in prison who's trying to kind of access outside resources to find things or to, you know, link, link, link A and B up that maybe identify fresh evidence or things like that. It's not an easy task. And I know Dennis and I have had this conversation before in terms of um, the, it does take quite a lot of resources. It takes quite a lot of our time as directors of the projects and, and facilitators of the projects, but it also takes a lot of attention to detail, doesn't it, Dennis, for the students? Well, it does take a lot of attention to detail, yes, um, and an awful lot of work because we, any, nobody who's, well, anybody who's ever experienced trying to go through the appeal process uh, will, if you haven't done that, you'll never understand how difficult it is. I didn't understand it for a long time, probably still don't even. And as Holly says, well, our project now is probably 50% of our work is not CCRC work. And that, in a way, the reason for that is, is the very reason for the existence of innocence projects, because there is nothing else. We are a last resort. These people have absolutely nothing. Many of them have spent vast, well, the family savings on solicitors just to be told they've no grounds for appeal. Um, there's no point in going to the CCRC uh, unless you've got a, a strong case. So, and people can't do that anyway until they've had an appeal. And there's no point in appealing unless you've got a strong case. So, the situation we're faced with is a pretty hopeless one. And the point, I suppose, for Innocence Projects is to try and give some people a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, it's a, it's a bit like dealing with a terminal illness, really. There's just a faint chance you might get somewhere. But Innocence Projects have a crucial role sometimes in just keeping that little glimmer of hope for people who are in a very, very dark place. Uh, and, that, and Innocence is, in fact, important. It's not the notion that you've got to prove innocence, but you've got to believe that innocence is a possibility and that you're going to take the person's viewpoint at face value. It's extremely difficult to um, talk to clients and try and explain to them that the appeal system is not interested in innocence. That's such an alien concept. And yet, curiously enough, it's true. And how we deal with that is something that innocence projects have to grapple with every day. I think there's also something around the concept of false hope. You sometimes hear people saying, well, why, why would you give the clients false hope? I don't think it's false because I think all the projects that, that I know of, we, we manage expectations from outset. We always tell them how difficult it is. And, and Dennis does a brilliant job of trying to persuade them that the, the hurdles that they're going to, to encounter are massive and they must not think that, there's, that we're going to perform a miracle. We, it's just not possible. So I think that... If anybody suggests or, or was thinking that we are giving people false hope, that's really missing the point again of some sort of hope. As Dennis says, light at the end of the tunnel, there is nothing else. So what disadvantage is there in coming to an innocence project that is properly resourced and properly managed when there is no alternative? You, if you fill in a CCRC form, what are the chances of them reviewing it fully 
if there's nothing obvious that's going to spring out there. And they usually, I would, I don't know any figures or facts, but the chances of there being something obvious and fresh must be pretty remote because they would have been picked up earlier on during the potential appeal process. I think it's also worth noting, and I know that the CCRC has probably said this to you as well, but they do make it very, very clear. And I think this is where our applicants maybe do get quite confused, is that they, ha- they are in receipt of applications, not appeals. We make applications to them, not an appeal directly to the Court of Appeal. And I know, uh, Dennis, Holly, Julie, you've said that a lot of your work is for people that haven't had their first appeal, which is slightly different. I find I get a degree of confusion from people who want the clarity on um, whether an application to the CCRC is an appeal to the CCRC, which they make clear and we make clear um, that it isn't. But nonetheless, they do need our time. And as Julie says, the support to put something together that at least is going to um, prompt the CCRC to have a proper look at it. Stay on on that quickly. Um, that when, because I, I completed a PhD where I spoke to a number of Innocence Project leaders at the time, um, although unfortunately a lot of projects haven't survived. But one of the key things that came out of that was, you know, just the value of Innocence Projects, even just listening to the client and giving them initial explanations of how the law works, why they might have been convicted, even in the first place. Some people... Um, some people were saying they had clients who didn't understand how the law even worked in the first place around joint enterprise and things like that. So even just having that chance to tell your side of the story to an innocence project and get them to explain how the law works and listen to that, I think does have value. Um, and just seeing ourselves as a place or a refuge for people to come for assistance when they cannot get it anywhere else, I think is valuable to clients, whether or not Um, it will ultimately lead to an appeal um, as for all the reasons we've said that's very difficult so I think that was something that came across from from my research that most people thought that was important. Yes I mean in a nutshell why do innocence projects in the UK fail to overturn convictions well firstly we're dealing with probably the most difficult cases Uh, if there is a good case a so-called good case then it's almost certainly you'll have a lawyer working on it. Secondly our workforce is very inexperienced and limited um, thirdly, we've got limited access to case papers and disclosure and that sort of thing. And fourthly, the system is virtually impossible anyway. So it's hardly surprising that there are so few um, convictions overturned. Uh, yeah, and, and let's not forget that, that there's, there's benefit, not, not just to the clients, but we're also, you know, in, a, in higher education. So we're also doing this we're doing this primarily for me for you know for our clients but we're also doing this for our students uh and the the experiential learning gain from from all of this it you know is huge for for students and given that you know the the criminal justice system is is in crisis at the moment particularly in terms of of um of people wanting to work in the criminal justice system and students going into the criminal justice system. I also see this as a way of, of generating the, the next generation of, of criminal practitioners uh, in, in one sense, 
and you know and, and, and students gain a lot from from this and, and I'll just I'd like, like to go back to a comment that, that Dennis made and, uh, and share with you a quote from, uh, from one of our clients uh, and this is a quote from, from a client. Firstly, I want uh, to thank you from the bottom of my heart for all the support and work that has been put into my case. You brought light to a dark place. Uh, and th this sums up for me the, the work that the, the students are doing for uh, our, our clients. Uh, and for all of the reasons, you know, Dennis says, you know, some of our cases don't succeed and it's very frustrating. Uh, we, we also help in, in, in different ways different ways uh, which I, I, I feel are also not uh, recognized uh, by some. That brings us on to the or brings us seamlessly onto the next point. Um, as innocence organizations, innocence projects, we have each had to adapt the innocence project model that was initially developed in the US um, by the innocence projects over there. But we've had to adapt it and manipulate it a little bit to fit with our criminal justice system over here. I've always felt, um, and I struggled with this um, quite a lot in the early days of the Innocence Project London, in the terms of um, the Innocence Project in the US measure success in terms of the number of exonerations. And Dennis, Julie and Holly at the Cardiff Innocence Project have had two successes in terms of returning appeals um, back to the Court of Appeal and um, successfully getting um, people, um, well, out of prison who have been wrongfully convicted. And I'll, I'll leave you to talk about that um, and claim your success. But um, I think for me, when I was trying to set up the Innocence Project London, certainly the idea that success or our success, my success was gonna be measured in getting the number of people out of prison in that way, I found really daunting because as Dennis has already highlighted, it's a very, very difficult system. It almost feels like it's a one-way street in um, with very little ability to consider anything that you know might need to come back out the other way um, through individual faults or you know any of the number of other evidential issues that we come across. Um, Claire touched upon the practical benefit, the experiential learning, which I think we'd all agree that the students hugely benefit from translating what they learn in the class into practical, into the practical sense. Um, but certainly, I think the struggle over here is that sense of the word innocence and where it fits in our work. Because in the criminal justice system that we have, um, certainly it's not a regular feature. Um, and also convictions are found to be unsafe. And that term innocence is, you know, if you look at the, the numerous case law, ill-defined, I think, is the, is the best way. Um, even people struggle with defining wrongful conviction, miscarriages of justice. They all have um, various, various different um, meanings, definitions attributed to them. So I think adapting that model has been a mixture of, certainly for me and the Innocence Project London, has been a mixture of experiential learning benefits, so benefit to the students, but also making it fit into the criminal justice system and that safety of the conviction notion. I mean, what about um, everyone else? Julie, Holly, Dennis, I'll come to you first, jump in. I still believe that innocence is important, um, fundamentally. Um, but of course, you have to work within the system you've got, and in, and it's uh, you know what what does unsafety mean? What, what, nobody can really define that at all. 
Um, so you have to look at, you know, the, what is going to succeed in that. And sometimes it's a little absurd that you look at a case and the reasons why it's a miscarriage of justice are quite obvious. You can't use those. You've got to try and struggle around for some kind of legal arguments to, to frame it in. Uh, it's a mad system, but we, that's what we're stuck with. And much as we might believe in, in innocence and, and so on, you know, we can't work within that framework because that's not the framework that the, our legal system works within. And I do think in terms of um, with the students, I think because, you know, not all of our cases will be clear cut, obviously, um, miscarriages of justice, we always teach them, you know, the importance of, um, of reviewing the case impartially and objectively with a view to trying to identify what might be potential grounds for appeal. We do also look at background things that we know won't be grounds for appeal, such as you know examining the reliability of witnesses and things like that. But we tell the students why we're doing that, which is to get a, a broader understanding and picture of the case. We are very clear with them on the types of evidence that they need to try to identify to work within the system and to appeal against the conviction. And I certainly do believe that all the due process protections and things that we have in place are fundamentally important to protect against wrongful conviction. And we always have those very in the forefront of our mind when reviewing cases. So I think, um, you, you know, even though we're called an innocence project and we do, um, we do recognize the importance of that when there's been a miscarriage of justice, we do ensure that we work within the system that is, um, we are required to. Also, I think that um, as regards the policy, that the, the policy changes that are needed or changes in the law that are needed to sort the system out. We don't sit silently and just say to the students, yep, yeah, you know, the system is wrong. We actually do give evidence to, to various committees and bodies that, that um, have got calls out for evidence. Um, I know at Cardiff, we, we quite often submit things individually as well as as a project. And I know that others do. And so we are very aware that it's OK for us to say the system is wrong. We have to work within it. But we, we also do try to, to put the evidence to the decision makers to, to try to, to encourage some sort of change. Obviously, that's a massively difficult, complex political legal process. But we do try. And I think we're not always given credit for that. Perhaps people don't understand that that is another thing that we do alongside the casework. Yeah, we're, we're all, uh, as, as, as we know, we're all on the CCRC stakeholders uh, group as well, So, uh, which, which uh, we attend um, a number of times a year and, uh, and contribute to, um, to that stakeholders holders group. Uh, and we are, uh, we do, and this goes back to the, the comment that uh, Julie made earlier, you know, we do speak to the CCRC and um, my students have access uh, to uh, caseworkers in the CCRC should they wish to discuss something with them about um, where they are with the case and if um, it's in a position to, to, you know, to send it to them. So it's not like we, we work you know, in our own little silo. Um, within uh, confidentiality, obviously, we... Um, we discuss things with with other people and, and and share good practice as well. That's one thing that particularly this group uh, is is now very good at is sharing good practice and 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 talking to each other 
uh, and and quite in the last three years we've also become part of a European network where we share good practice but I think it's, it's all uh, a good thing. No it is and I think the important point to make is there's not many of us doing this now um, we work together a lot. The three of us work together a lot. But in the last survey that I put around on behalf of the Innocence Project London, I think there are approximately about 11 or 12 um, organisations undertaking innocence work. In 2017, same survey, um, there were 24 respondents and 24 organisations. And then back in, I think, 2014, 2015, there were as many as 35. So it takes, as you know, Dennis, Holly, Julie, Claire, you'll all agree, it takes a lot of time to run and manage students working on an innocence project doing this work. As Julie said before, we don't just let them loose. They don't just go and, and, and that's where it's different to the US. The US um, often attracts, the US projects often have postgrad students that are in a postgrad space working for them. They're often given their own individual cases. They're allowed because they're in that hybrid space. They're in law school, so they're closer to practice than our undergrads are. They're able to go on prison visits on their own, undertake investigations on their own. We're totally different in that respect in terms of our undergraduate places. So there is a real difference. And as Dennis said, we have to work um, definitely with what we've got, but it does take up a lot of my time. Um, and I'm fairly sure Claire, Julie, Holly, Dennis, you'll say the same. It, you know, around the lecturing that I do as well, it takes up a huge chunk of my time managing the casework and managing the students, um, which is probably why there aren't many of us that are still working and doing this kind of thing in higher educational institutions. Um, which brings me on to that last point. I know we've highlighted it, but I think it all, it's good for our listeners to hear it again in terms of the benefits that Innocence Work has um, in England and Wales. We've said about our students, um, there's, a lot of, um, there's a lot of times that I get told anecdotally about how much our work, the work they do on the project improves their outcomes. It's a key talking point in interviews for them, transferable um, skills, employability, all of those kind of things. But of course, the other big benefit is to our, our clients, isn't it? Yes, of course, it's the one thing that we can be sure is successful is that it's good for quite a lot of students to do this and they, they get a lot from it. So in that sense, Innocence Projects are a success. But I think that's the most important thing to get across to students is the notion of client care. That the most important thing has to be your client first. And that also is the most educational thing if they're ever gonna work in this area. So it, it's vital in that respect. And it worries me when people approach it from a purely academic point of view, because you're going to a very dangerous ethical area there where you're, you are potentially messing with people's lives who are very desperate and you're only using them for educational purposes. So by all means, use them for educational purposes, but make sure your number one focus is your client care and you're best for your client. Yeah, and that's one of the first things we do when we, we take on new students, Dennis, is, is, to, is to teach them about that client care and about confidentiality, uh, about ethics, um so you know it's all part and parcel of of what we do in the justice hub actually so we train all our, our students uh these things because it, it's so important and underpins everything uh they do it's an invaluable experience uh some of our students also go and we talked about the u.s project uh some of our students also go on internships uh in some of the u.s projects 
and learn things and come back uh, and share those experience with us, experiences with us uh, about the things that they, they picked up uh, there about in, in just in terms of case management, for, for example. So they not only get um, an experience here, they get um, uh, a, a, a global international experience as well of, of uh, criminal justice work. So it's invaluable to me. The experiential learning is is in, is in, is invaluable to students, and what they learn to take out into the workplace, whether they become lawyers or not, about how to deal with clients, about how to deal with people, is so important. I just wanted to develop quickly something that Dennis said there about the client care and looking after the client. I think some people might take that as reading that we automatically believe that the clients are always innocent and that's absolutely not the case. Um, we train the students to, to look at it objectively and it may be that you, you take it so far and there really is nothing you can do but it doesn't mean to say that we always believe a client. Of course we don't, we look at it objectively but we do give them the benefit of the doubt in many cases where there is a doubt. And we also are aware of the artificiality of having to find new evidence, as Dennis mentioned earlier, when the, the evidence that could get the conviction overturned was there all along, just because it's been used before or been available for use. That's an extremely artificial and unfair rule of the system that, that make, means that the chances are stacked against the client. Point which has be made over and over again to the government and the Court of Appeal, but nobody seems to take any notice. So. I suppose uh, in our optimistic moments, we might think that future students will get to a position where they can perhaps make some changes in that respect. I think a quite a neat way of summing it up was the law firm, was the head of pro bono at the law firm that assesses um, the cases, the applicants to the um, Innocence Project London. And they do it as part of their corporate social responsibility. Um, but he recently said to me, the lawyers there that do the case assessments have suddenly realised, not suddenly realised, but they've realised that actually these could potentially be not just lawyers working in law firms and doing the same thing that they're doing in the future, but other people that take on other roles in the criminal justice system and in the criminal justice process. And by them understanding and being able to have a critical um, view of that process, we are educating them and helping them to help have that view as they then go forward into whatever job they do. And that could be probation, that could be any part that forms a small part of that criminal justice process. And that can only be a beneficial thing going forward for how that system continues to evolve and hopefully change for the better. Um, I was just going to say, um, and especially as we know that due to to the lack of funding that the criminal justice system is getting in the last decade. There's research that shows that um, criminal uh, defense professionals are a dying breed because people almost cannot afford to go into that profession. And there's a real risk that if we don't educate students about these problems with the criminal justice system and teach them um, about the value of this kind of work that we won't get young people going into that profession and safeguarding future defendants from wrongful conviction. So I think that's a really, really important aspect of, of the work as well that can't be um, can't be overlooked, which as Louise has already stressed. And, and there's a, um, 
a piece of research uh, uh, coming out uh, quite soon by uh, Dr. Lucy Walsh. Uh, it's an ESRC funded project. So uh, at um, the end of uh, this month, March 2021, uh, that piece of research uh, is due to be published. So I look forward to that because that is looking at the availability uh, of, uh, of uh, legal aid and lawyers. Excellent. Well, look, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you all today. I know I work with you really closely, but it's been really good. Um, and I hope, listeners, you have a little bit more of an understanding about innocence organisations, how they work um, in in this country and the work that we do um, in higher education in terms of the benefit that's derived, not just, as we said, for the students, but also for the people um, that are in prison, that have lost hope um, and that we work on behalf of. So Claire, Julie, Dennis, Holly, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you want to find out more about the Cardiff Innocence Project, um, you can do that online. Manchester Innocence Project is the same, as well as the Innocence Project London. We are all on Twitter um, and various other social media. So do look us up and do follow the work that we do. But for now, thank you very much. Thank you.